Well, it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it. That it can be about the performance and not the politics. This moment is so much bigger than me. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. And thank all of you who voted for me and all of you who didn't, please excuse me. I deserve this, thank you. Hello and welcome back to Academy Queens. We have today a special Patreon bonus episode, a topic that our patrons voted on for us to discuss today, and that is the Best Picture nominees of 2010. So, uh, Joey, this is your pick for uh, the patron options. So, uh, how are you feeling about this episode? Well, I'm feeling really good. Um, 2010 was the second year since the Academy switcheroo of 10 um, best pictures, but it only clearly lasted two years because then after this, it was anywhere between five and 10. And I think it's been stuck at nine every year since. So I'm pretty sure that this is the last time we had 10 nominees. So there's that. Um, but yeah, it's it's a pretty solid year. There's um, a couple of sour apples in this lineup, but I would say 85% of them are pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty uh pretty excited for this episode. It's a couple of movies we've talked about already on the main show, considering um, there's some lead and supporting actress nominees in a few of these movies. But um, it'll be good to talk about the movies as a whole, not just in the acting department. That is correct. That is correct. Um, any of these without giving away stand out to you in like a classic type of way? Like for an example, like people are like, oh yeah, Casablanca is a classic movie now. Do you think any of these will reach or have reached classic status? Um, well, I'd say as of right now in 2020, uh, one of the films that seems to be considered like a modern classic is The Social Network. It seems to have really tapped into something, especially right now with, you know, uh, social media being such a hot button issue with uh, political elections and um, bots and other misinformation um, swaying people's votes or just straight up manipulating people. And uh, The Social Network sort of being the origin story of how... Um, a lot of that started um, seems to be a modern classic. If uh, that's a term that we're able to use here. Yeah, I would agree. That's actually kind of where I was going. I was like, I wonder if he considers social network a classic. Um, yeah, we agree there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, if you don't, Oh, you want to uh, do your um, should have been a contender thing. Yes. Should have been, should have been, should have been a contender. And then, of course, I want to hear your thoughts on where you think I'm going and vice versa. Um, so should have been, been a contender. I cannot speak today. Should have been a contender um, is a movie that we pick that we think the Academy missed the mark on with um, nominating for Best Picture. And for me, one of my top five of that year didn't make it in, and that is Blue Valentine. Um, which I find super interesting because it is one of the most beautiful love stories and unloved love stories. And what I mean by that is, of course, it is the story and um, the fallout of what it means to love, I think, in a spectrum. Um, I find it really interesting when subpar mediocre films like Marriage Story get in for a love story best picture. 
but this doesn't because in my opinion this is superior than marriage story i'm using that as the example because it's the most recent um in every way from direction to acting to the storyline to the cinematography to just literally everything um so it makes me a little bit sad because blue valentine was something very special i remember i saw it in theaters at valley view if you're in cleveland you know what that means um and i was the only one in the theater and i got to sob to myself and it was just such a magical experience and of course if you listen back to our 2010 best actress episode i gave michelle williams the win here for best actress um so i would have given it best picture nomination and i would have given it best actress winner how about you um, I had a feeling you were going with uh, Blue Valentine when I quickly Googled, you know, movies that came out this year. I knew, I know it's a very special film for you. And, uh, you know, it is kind of a love story with a big question mark after the word love. It's a complicated, uh, complex film in that way. But um, a movie that stands out to me from this year is Shutter Island. Um, I was a huge fan of the book. Um, I read it uh, in high school uh, when it came out or when it was I guess it was so relatively new I don't think it was brand new but um, I really like the way Scorsese uh, told it uh, really playing with cinematic language and um, using uh, visual conventions to really mess with the audience and um, to skew the protagonist's point of view and um, really throw things off track and uh, help the audience uh, sort of get into that mindset and um, something else he does that's kind of interesting in this movie is there are very purposeful continuity errors, like really obvious ones once you know to look for them. And he did that on purpose to sort of uh, disorient things and to kind of give you the impression that a lot of this is um, not contrived, but uh, that there's a, a cerebral nature to all this. So um, it's a pretty cool movie. I like it a lot. And um, I think it deserved a little more recognition. And it has Michelle Williams, so there's that connection. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brandon, who do you think I'm picking for Best Picture this year? Um, you know, I've been kind of going back and forth um, with a couple. But for some reason, I have a feeling about Winter's Bone for some weird reason. So I'm just going to throw out Winter's Bone. Mm, interesting. Um, just based on past conversations, I want to say you're going with Black Swan as Best Picture. Okay. So it'll be interesting to see if you had switched your mind on that one or if you still agree that it is one of the best and possibly now your winner for best picture. Yeah. So take us away, sir. So your nominees for uh, best picture in 2010 were Black Swan, The Fighter, Inception. The kids are all right. The King's Speech. 127 hours. The Social Network. Toy Story 3. True Grit. Winter's Bone. And I'm going to start us off here with uh, the winner for the year. Uh, that is the King's Speech. And it was, you know, one of the front runners to take this as it wins uh, two BAFTA awards. It wins the general best film at BAFTA and also wins best British film at BAFTA. It is the SAG Ensemble winner. It is the Producers Guild winner. 
It's a top 10 film with the National Board of Review, and it wins the AARP Best Movies for Grownups Award. It's also recognized at the Globes um, with the Spirit Awards in foreign film and at Critics' Choice. The King's Speech tells the story of King George VI and how he overcame his stammer with the help of an animated Shakespearean actor as his speech therapist. The King's Speech was also nominated on the night uh, for Best Actor, Best Directing, Screenplay, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, Cinematography, Editing, Costume Design, Music Score, Sound Mixing, and Art Direction. And it wins a few of those, Actor, Director, and Screenplay. So it was a pretty much a huge contender here on the night. So uh, how do you feel about The King's Speech? So The King's Speech is something that I remember... Again, I saw this in theaters when it came out, um, had my thoughts on it then. It took about 10 years for me, all nine years, essentially, to revisit it. And I remember liking it even a, probably better than I saw it the first time. Um, you know, this this film gets a lot of shit, and it gets a lot of shit as a winner because of who else is in this lineup and you know this year was very much the social network versus the king's speech um and obviously tom hooper this win hasn't really for him um aged well um but i also think it it, it does get some unfair criticism and mainly it's because of what this race boiled down to yes we have 10 nominees here there was really one dark horse nominee that could possibly win um, that year that, and that was uh, Toy Story three for best picture, which would have been the first time an animated film had won that category. Um, that was the only possibility of an upset, but then it really became between network and King. And the thing is, is that King is a fairly well movie. It's, fairly good it's fairly well done um you know it's not a movie that i want to revisit all the time and for me that's a big component for best picture not only as a nominee but as a winner how often do i want to revisit this do i want to revisit this um i think for me if i was an academy voter that's how essentially i break down a best picture winner um, what's the rewatchability? How does it make me feel? How will this stand up through the test of time? And the third one there that I mentioned that's standing up throughout the test of time isn't really so much a factor as a voter that I think I would put into it, but is more how do I see this movie aging? Because there are some winners that or nominees that don't age well. Um compared to their counterparts in their in in their nominated year um so has this aged well i think it's matured pretty well what's the rewatchability mm, maybe once a decade is it a bad nominee not not at all um what are your thoughts i pretty much concur with that um this is a movie that i liked when it came out i didn't love it necessarily but i liked it and um I'm pretty sure at the time when I saw it, it had already been nominated. I think the nominations had just came out. And so I saw, you know, why the Academy would go for something like this and how it could win Best Picture. It just seemed like that kind of movie. 
And it's also just pretty well done, I would say. I know Tom Hooper's uh, direction is not everyone's cup of tea. Here, I think his style is really working. He has a very, um, he has a unique way of framing shots uh, using headroom and excessive um, negative space at times that I think frustrates a lot of American audiences. Um, it's not something that we're very familiar with. But I think it really helps elevate the mental space that the character is in. Um, it kind of actually reminds me of what I was saying earlier about Shutter Island and how Scorsese used cinematic language to capture a mood or a state of mind. Uh, here in the King speech, um, King George, played by Colin Firth, is very frustrated. Uh, he is someone who is king who is not really meant to be king. Uh, his elder brother... Uh, should have been king and um you know due to uh personal reasons and family controversy had to uh, step down or abdicate whatever the term is and now um this second uh born son is king and uh he has this stammer that's treated as a basically a disability uh because the people they fear uh, will not be able to revere him or take him seriously if he doesn't speak well and um, it's a huge point of humiliation for him. And um, it gets the better of him at times. And uh, Tom Hooper uses the camera and um, the color palette um, within the art direction and the editing to, I think, really create a disorienting effect within the audience. And I think a lot of the frustration that audiences felt watching the movie and um, interpreting Tom Hooper's style was intentional in a sense. And I think it's pretty effective. And um, I don't um, really scoff at this best picture win or best director win. Um, they make sense to me. Um, not saying necessarily whether I would have voted in either category for the King speech, but um, it's not really a win that I'm angry about. Oh, on the whole, I would say this movie pretty much works. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I will agree with you with most, I would say everything except for one. I think the best direction win there is not the best director um and, and that's that's being 10 years removed from this that's being then that's probably another 10 years removed um just with like aronofsky and fincher right there that director win just doesn't make sense to me but i would also agree with everything you just said except for that one yeah i mean i'm saying it makes sense not that you know that i would have gone for it i can see why the academy you know went along for the ride and gave it to Hooper. The Academy so, has a hard on for these period pieces. Yep. And, you know, it had the uh, the big W behind its push. Um, mm -hmm. The, you know, the, the name of which we do not utter. Uh, but um, I know we're going to get into Firth and Rush um, eventually. We've already talked about uh, Carter. But um, as an ensemble, um, how would you rate this film? It does win a SAG Ensemble this year. Again, with who else was nominated that year, not my vote, but it's not a bad group of actors. Yeah, the ensemble um, thing is a little tricky uh, because, honestly, I can name offhand three actors in this movie. I mean, I know there are others, other big British names but when I really think about this movie, I only really think of those three, uh, the three who ended up getting nominated. I don't really, you know, think about Derek Jacobi and, um, you know, 
all the rest of the players in this film. Uh, so is it really an ensemble in that sense? I'm not really sure. But, um, you know, it makes sense considering the momentum this movie had and in the last decade how a lot of the precursors have been trying to predict the best picture winner. Um, you know, that's a theory that a lot of people have. So in that sense, I get the win. But I don't know. It has three uh, strong key players, but I don't know if I would say this is a strong ensemble piece. Yeah, I I had to look up really quick as we were talking who else was in that. Because I remember three out of the five here. I had forgotten that the Kids All Right and the Fighter had gotten in to ensemble um, nominations for SAG that year. But I would like to point out that the Social Network for their ensemble nomination only got Jesse Eisenberg, Andrew Garfield, Army Hammer, Max Minghella, and Justin Timberlake. I'm sorry, but that's some bullshit because the Social Network is nothing but a giant ensemble. Like, where's Rooney Mara? Where's Brenda Song? Where's Rashida Jones? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson, yes. Early outing for Dakota Johnson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, since I brought it up, let's talk Toy Story 3. Um, took 11 years from part two to part three to come out. Um, this was a massive hit. Um, we are in our late 20s, so we grew up, we were the generation of Toy Story 1 and 2. Um, I thought Toy Story 2 was probably one of the best sequels ever made, but this is about part three. In part three, it takes us back on the um, the buzz as they meet a bunch of new friends. Shout out to the three peas in a pod. And uh, they take their old friends, including Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head, Rex, etc., etc., Slinky Dog... And um, they have to get back home because they were accidentally donated to a daycare center. Um, of course, you have uh, hijinks that ensue along. Um, but it is also one of the saddest <laughs> movies with the most fulfilling, wholesome, full circle endings. To the point where, I don't know about you, but I didn't even bother seeing Toy Story 4 because of A, the mixed reviews. But B, this trilogy ended perfectly. Um, what do you think? Yeah, um, this could have been a perfect trilogy. Uh, they didn't really need to make that fourth one. I did watch it, and it is, in my opinion, the weakest of the four. Um, it's just simply not that great, and it was unnecessary, uh, because this ending is quite perfect. Um, this movie came out um, right when I was graduating from high school. And uh, my friends and I went to see it. And, you know, it hit us in a very, you know, strange way. Um, you know, Andy literally going off to college and um, parting ways with uh, his hometown and his toys and his childhood and all that. And um, I don't think any of us were expecting that. And, you know, it kind of hits you like a ton of bricks. And um, even 10-ish years removed from all that, um, it still really hit me, but in a very different way. Um, I know a lot of people cite the, um, the incinerator scene where they're all, they all hold hands and they accept their death that is about to come as like one of the most heart rending moments in all of film. And, uh, that's the part that everyone says, you know, that's where the tears start flowing. Um, honestly for me, um, that that scene never really had that effect. I think even even in the day, um, I just didn't believe that you know they're all gonna 
melt in the incinerator. Uh, the part that gets me is um, Andy and Bonnie um, when he takes the toys to her and they have their little show and tell and he's consciously um, saying goodbye uh, to the toys with her. Um, that part really gets me in a new way. Uh, I didn't have the life experience when I was 18 that I have now. And uh, this movie kind of, I rewatched this for um, this episode and um that this movie lingered with me the entire next day uh, when I was at work. I hadn't seen it basically since it was in theaters, I don't think. So um, big gap in between my um, viewings of this film. But um, yeah, it hits me in a wholly different way this time around. And um, it's also just a solid uh, film. It uh, goes in a very cool direction, uh, finds a neat way to incorporate new characters um, love Ned Beatty's uh, villainous teddy bear. Um, that's just perfect casting right there. Um, so yeah, on the whole, I'd say this is a pretty great, uh, great film. Yeah, um, I would agree that this is an amazing film. Um, I was also fresh out of high school because we are, again, the same age. Um, shout out class of 2010. Didn't get to get our 10-year reunion. That's shitty. Um, not that I would have gone, I don't know about you, but, uh, yeah, nah. um, but this was a huge, huge moment for us because this, again, we were the Toy Story generation. Um, God damn it. Sorry guys. Um, we completely grew up with Woody and Buzz and essentially this was like the ultimate, um, moment of adulthood for us this is leaving the toys behind symbolized what we were going through at that time um we're, we're now according to society supposed to just be an adult just because the law says so um so this really hit in many different ways i would agree with you um, I mean, I would also say the incinerator definitely brings some emotion, but that parting scene is what really drives home the emotion here. Um, this is a beautiful film. I actually, this is one of the films that I haven't revisited for this because it was one of the few films that my experience seeing it the one and only time left such an impression that I'm afraid to revisit it and not feel the same. Um, and I think that says something for the type of movie. Um, I did that with Moonlight, too. I've only seen Moonlight once. I'm not going to revisit it for next season um, because I can't rewatch it because I just feel like I'm not going to get what I got from it the first time. And I think that says and plays to the strength of a film. Um, again, this was a huge possible dark, dark horse on Oscar night to win Best Picture. That's how big this movie was when it came out. Um, outside of winning Best Animated Film, which this had it in the bag, um, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Sound Editing, Best Original Song, um, and it won Song and Animated Feature. Um, this is fantastic. This is one that I would also consider a classic in this lineup. Um, I think it's funny. I think Toy Story 3 is did one of the few things that a sequel and a third entry in a film 
um, haven't done very often, and that is be better than the first one. Um, I still think, looking at the trilogy, two is still my favorite of the trilogy, but three has the best imp- long-term impression on me. Um, this is fantastic. You have been listening to a clip from one of our Academy Queens bonus episodes. If you would like to hear all of this episode and the rest of our sensational bonus content, please prance on over to patreon.com slash academyqueens and join our queendom.